0: Football on off the ball with Sky. Watch Premier League, Women's Super League, Scottish Premiership, and much more live on Sky Sports. So you're very welcome along to Thursday's football show, Nathan. With you for the next hour, we have got a huge few days of live football coming your way. Manchester City against Liverpool live from the Etihad Stadium and off the ball on Sunday. Stephen Doyle and Brian Kerr will bring you through that one. And then next Tuesday, we're going to bring you live commentary of the Republic of Ireland's World Cup qualifier against Sweden in Gothenburg it'll be from half past five it'll be live on OTB Sports Radio so you can listen in online to that Sweden by the way warmed up for that game With a 15-0 victory against Georgia in their qualifier tonight. You might remember the Republic of Ireland beat Georgia 11-0 at the end of last year. So very much uh, the weakest team in that group. But a a nice little warm-up match for Sweden ahead of the visit of the Republic of Ireland. There is a lot of live football on tonight in the Europa League and the Conference League. And Rangers have just gone behind in their Europa League quarterfinal against Braga. 1-0 to the Portuguese side. Still scoreless between West Ham and Lyon. Second half just getting underway but... Aaron Cresswell sent off just before half-time for West Ham in that one. Eintracht Frankfurt have taken a 1-0 lead against Barcelona while it finished 1-0 between Leipzig and Atalanta in the early game. While in the Europa Conference League quarter-finals, scoreless between Leicester City and PSV Eindhoven. Marseille 2-0 up against Pauk. A stunning strike from Dimitri Payet that I'd recommend you checking out. Uh, Bodo Glimt trailing Jose Mourinho's Roma by a goal to nil and earlier finished 3-0 between Feyenoord and Slavia Prague a reminder that we're back as well tomorrow night 10 o'clock for our League of Ireland late night on Twitter Spaces I we'll be reflecting on a huge night in the League of Ireland Shamrock Rovers are going to shells while it's the Stephen O'Donnell Derby at Dundalk against St. Pat's tomorrow night so there'll be plenty to reflect on with myself, Johnny and Shane But right now, I want to talk about, well, we want to talk about Karim Benzema in a moment, but first we want to talk about Manchester City and the developments today. Uh, The football writer, Philippe O'Claire, is on the line. Good evening, Philippe. Good evening to you. Uh, We had wanted to get you on to talk about the greatness of carrying Benzema, but (laughs) uh, news has developed quickly over the last few hours and Der Spiegel, the German newspaper at the centre of it uh, with revelations around Manchester City and the investigations that have been going on into the club for the last three years around inflated sponsorship deals with the connections with the ownership in Abu Dhabi hidden salary payments made to a former manager, illegal payments for underage players Could you talk us through exactly what's been revealed today? Uh, oh, my goodness.
1: Um, I, yes, thank you very much. That's uh, very kind of you to ask me. I, I've spent most of the day actually poring over the documents which have been published on uh, by Der Spiegel uh, because the important thing, I suppose, about what they have uh, put out uh, this, this afternoon is not just um, the alleged facts, but it's also all the documentation and the context which was missing until now. And I think many of the people who will be aware of the reasons why Manchester City were actually um, banned for two years by UEFA in February 2020 uh, before this uh, sanction was overturned by CAS in July of the same year. Uh, we'll have an idea what we're talking about. We're talking about <clears> – <throat> uh, and we've got to be careful here, obviously. I, I know the Irish Labour laws are pretty, uh, mm. pretty strict. Uh, But we are talking about allegations of um, having, for example, Roberto Mancini's salary paid in part by a fictitious contract with Al Jazeera, which happens to be uh, the national broadcaster there. Uh, We're talking about um, young youth players, uh, actually Brian Diaz and and Jadon Sancho, being pressured into uh, signing deals with Manchester City by financial inducement, which of course is totally Illegal, given the uh, age at which uh, those players were allegedly approached, we have to to make sure of mentioning that we are talking about a number of payments to agents and which were going through um, <coughs> intermediaries who probably shouldn't have been used or sh- yeah or shouldn't be used. We're talking uh, about payments by sponsors, which were, in fact, only paid in part by the sponsors. The sponsors being, again, allegedly being given that money by the club itself, uh, which is quite an extraordinary thing when you think about it. But the idea being, of course, uh, that what this would enable to do. Uh, would be to circumvent financial fair play regulations, which of course limited the amount of money that the owners could put in their own clubs. So what you do is that you give money to a sponsor and the sponsor gives you the money back, but to the club itself. Again, these are all things which are not exactly have been discussed before. The difference here is that we have a lot of documents to um, corroborate the allegations. Which have been put forward by Der Spiegel, um, and I think one of the most serious things, as far you know, as somebody who's been following this story quite closely for for a while now, I think one of the most serious things in this is that when um, the uh, Court of Arbitration for Sport um, decided to um, give uh, the verdict to Manchester City back in July 2020, as in to overturn the two-year ban, which had been imposed by FIFA, by UEFA, excuse me. One of the reasons was that they were struck by the testimony of some of the Manchester City executives who went to the tribunal and swore that no, none of this had happened. And there is one particular instance and uh, perhaps you'll excuse me for not going into the particulars of this one because I think it's actually a very important legal point and which might uh, be of even greater importance in the days and the weeks to come. Um, It seems that there is at least elements to believe that this particular executive was not exactly telling the truth. And um, if that is the case, that would be very serious indeed Mm. because that would be a, a matter that would probably force, I mean, would normally would uh, bring, uh, would make uh, CAS, and UEFA uh, go back to the, the, the case and say, hold on, this was not done properly. Now, of course, the other thing as well is that for three years and three months now, there is an investigation which has been ongoing by the Premier League. Very difficult to get details about it because it is a so-called confidential matter. So it's very difficult to understand exactly what they're investigating, but which is also centered on Manchester City. And without giving away too much detail again, um, the, what I've said, what I've uh, uh, alluded to beforehand is probably what the Premier League is looking at as well. Now the Premier League is going to come under scrutiny and under a great deal of pressure now that this dossier has been published to actually tell us uh, what exactly they're doing and what they're investigating and are they going to come to some conclusions at some point and should Manchester City be found to be, uh, have been, inf- to be an infringement of Premier League rules, uh, would they act and how would they act? So all of this suddenly has brought back uh, a dossier which we thought had been set aside about a year and a half ago now, has uh, brought it back to, to the front pages. And um, what we've got to wait for now is a reaction from UEFA, from the Premier League, especially from the club itself, and also from the various uh, companies and government agencies from uh, Abu Dhabi and the United Arab Emirates, which have been quoted in, in the Spiegel dossier. And, um, which apparently have none of them, and have actually reacted or given a response or reply to the German magazine. Um, it's it's one way of going on about it, I suppose. Mm. But there, I think I, I hope I haven't completely uh, drowned your yourself and your listeners into too much detail. but the that that's basically the the root of of the dossier is all about, um, circumventing financial fair play regulations by using sponsors and by using state aid, disguised sponsor money and the rest of it, you know, which all
0: I have said and which of course are very, very serious allegations. Absolutely. And listen, I think uh, you've described it brilliantly there, Philippe, and the detail is absolutely crucial. And it in is. terms of its importance, you talk about like illegal payments for underage players is one of the accusations. Like they wouldn't be the first club to be accused of such things, and oh, inflated no. sponsorship deals and hidden salary payments would feed into a belief that a lot of people have had around Manchester City have been a essentially a state run club. Uh, when you look at their various sponsorship deals they have around their jersey and their stadium and the links that are there with Abu Dhabi, is is it the revelation here then that actually there is now? allegedly, according to Der Spiegel, there is written proof for allegations that have long been denied and been denied for Cass, for UEFA, and presumably, as you say, with this Premier League investigation, that now there is a proof of what Manchester City have long denied and they're now potentially going to have to deal with the consequences. I say potentially because, well, who knows? Who knows?
1: Um, It's a little bit more complicated than that. Um, the fact is when you have a club which is owned or which was owned until very recently when it was switched to another company, but it's basically the same ownership um, by an investment fund. Uh, this investment fund is headed by uh, the deputy uh, prime minister of the United Arab Emirates, who is also the half brother of the president of the United Arab Emirates and the son-in-law uh uh, as well of the emir of dubai uh, if i'm not mistaken um, and you put all that together and you add uh, the fact that um the money uh, that has been invested in 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 there is is basically emirati money and 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 you look at the number of positions that the people who are at manchester city also have with the united arab emirates government and authorities and you think well it's it's obvious it screams at you This is owned by the UAE. But Manchester City has always denied that was the case and always said that it was a private property, that it was a private investment by Sheikh Mansour uh, Ben Zayed, and it had nothing to do with the authorities. Now, one of the things that the uh, Spiegel asserts is that there was at least uh, one case, in fact, several, in which... Um, several uh, in which payments were actually made, but only after they had been authorized by a government agency. <laughs> and and they said they used quite an interesting simile here. They said it's a bit imagine like Deutsche Bahn, which is basically the German national railway, uh, were the sponsor of Bayern Munich, and and had a a sponsorship agreement with Bayern. And imagine then that Bayern would have to go to the chancellor's office to make sure the money was coming, you would think that's a little bit strange, isn't it? And that's exactly what happened in this particular case, uh, according to the, to Der Spiegel. So I don't think we have a definite proof uh, of, of the ownership of the club by the state. Uh, what we have is yet more um, circumstantial evidence that indeed... Uh, there is control of that club by uh, the um, emeriti government and royal family. And I will leave it at that because you could say it was the same thing. I would say it's not quite the same thing, but I think we all know what we're talking about. Hmm. This is a club which is basically, yes, controlled by a nation state. I mean in a different perhaps not as as direct a way as for example PSG is controlled by Qatar uh, because PSG is controlled by QSI which is a sports investment of uh, of the nation, of the Qatari uh, nation the same way that Newcastle United is owned 80% by PIF which is a sovereign fund which only happens to be uh, to have Mohammed bin Salman the crown prince as uh, as president so it's not quite as direct as that but there are loads of elements in what Der Spiegel has been publishing today, uh, which seem to confirm
0: what I think we've all thought from the very beginning, as it is a state project. It does feel as though that Manchester City, with all the success that they are having on the field, and maybe this will be the finally be the year that Pep Guardiola sees them over the line in the Champions League, that they've almost got mm-hmm. to a stage where they're too big to fail. And in terms of potential consequences for this and what the Premier League, what UEFA, what the Court of Arbitration for Sport might do. You've covered this sport and we've had so many of these conversations around so many different areas, clubs. Do you see any potential serious consequence coming down the line that will affect Manchester City on the pitch in any way?
1: Uh, I would be very interested to see what the reaction within the Premier League is going to be. Um, And I'm thinking that uh, Manchester City doesn't have, you know, the Premier League is is a limited company, which has got 21 shareholders, the 20 clubs which happen to be in the Premier League at that particular time, plus uh, the FA, which but the FA is more kind of a regulatory body when it comes to the format of competitions and fairness of competition and so forth. But of those 20 shareholders of the Premier League today, when they read or they will read um, what the Spiegel uh, published today... I think there was quite a few who might think, you know what, I, I'm, I'm not happy with that. I don't think that's fair. And whether they decide to act upon it and to put pressure within the Premier League for the Premier League to actually do something about it or not, that's entirely up to them. Um, but it, it's true that, I mean, when it, as far as UEFA is concerned, you have seen that the financial, financial fair play rules have been basically erased and wiped off the blackboard and replaced by a new set of rules which are all about uh, balancing the accounts, which is quite a different thing altogether. I'm not too sure that UEFA would want to revisit uh, a case in which, to be honest, they didn't cover themselves with glory because a lot of what they were asserting uh, uh, to start with, I think, was were things which probably could be defending in front of a court. Unfortunately, they'd forgotten about something, which is uh, the fact that uh, <laughs> um, it, it was too late. and uh, There was the statute of limitations on some of the alleged offences, and which is why Manchester City got away with it. So um, uh, I, I'm not holding my breath. I'm interested to see in what um, the Premier League is going to do, if it's going to do anything at long last. Uh, I repeat myself, but let's, you know, the investigation into Manchester City by the Premier League was started in December 2018. That's mm. a long time ago. And, and and nothing has come out of it yet, which is
0: quite extraordinary. Which is quite extraordinary. Well, well that in itself is extraordinary, that uh, any investigation for such a, 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 a company and a league that's under the spotlight, that, as you said, there's been little or no leaks. There's been no revelations. Nobody seems to know where that investigation stands.
1: Yeah, And and the fact is that um, one thing we can say, which is a fact, is that Manchester City has not exactly uh, been forthright in cooperating with investigators, be it the investigators from UEFA or the investigators uh, from the Premier League. That's what I hear. And certainly they haven't been very cooperative when it comes to Der Spiegel because they have refused to answer all the questions that the Spiegel put to them. So, you know, draw your own conclusions from that if you want to draw them. Uh, The other thing as well, and I I just want to come back quickly on that, when when you were talking about um, uh, the sponsorship of Manchester City, I mean, one thing which I find extraordinary is that we've just, we're we're still going through a pandemic, but we went through very severe lockdowns in in Western Europe. And it so happens that Manchester City, of all the clubs in Europe and probably all the clubs on the planet, managed to uh, increase their income. During the pandemic, and in particular by securing amazing commercial rights during a time in which nobody was spending any money. And when you look at the contracts they signed, it's quite extraordinary because some of them are with the Abu Dhabi Travel Authority, you know, in the pandemic. That's pretty interesting. Uh, another one was with a, a luxury hotel. In the, in the in the Gulf as well at the time when people couldn't actually travel or stay in a hotel and and they still managed to bring in more money through commercial interests and partnerships than anybody else on the planet including Barcelona Real Madrid Manchester United and because of that they were put at number one in the rich list published by the you know uh, accounting uh, cabinet uh, Deloitte mm. and and which you know was a bit surprising. How do you manage to do that? When when you look at the list of sponsors, I mean most of them, or a great number of them, come from the region. They come from the United Arab Emirates. They come from Abu Dhabi. They come from Dubai. So you think, mm, okay, and then you read this and you think, mm, okay, so. Is it a level playing field? Well, no, I think it's not. You just need it's to not. visit.
0: You just need to visit the Etihad Stadium and compare it to a trip to Anfield or Old Trafford or any of those stadiums, and it's a, a very different scene. For, Certainly, yes. For some of those companies to be investing in, We'd probably all be checking in with someone every now and then. After we, we imploded in the league last year, I wasn't right for yeah. a long time. Keep up to date with the latest WSL action and the biggest interviews. Subscribe to the Koi Gig Podcast Stream on the OTV Sports app now. Uh, we've only a couple of minutes left. We had when we were initially making the call. The intention was to talk about Karim Benzema after oh, yes, his hat trick. <laughs> we, we don't have a huge amount of time. Uh, you've obviously been following his career. From I saw Miguel Delaney put it into sort of three different spells: from being the wonder kid, then the guy who had to play a second fiddle to Cristiano yes. Ronaldo, to now becoming the very much the superstar in his own right. Yeah, and the debate that's been going on about the sudden improvement in Karim Benzema when you were watching Benzema during the Ronaldo years was it a Benzema who was constantly sacrificing himself for the team or has actually is there a maturity to his play that has allowed him to become a, a better player now than he was 7-8 years ago He's a better player now than he than he was, and um, and he's actually one of the very
1: best players on the planet now. But I think that we tend to exaggerate the the extent to which he put himself in Ronaldo's shadow. Um, he's a proper football player, which means he's a collective player, which means that if he's got an absolutely astonishing goal scorer by his side, he will, of course, make sure that he, he, he does everything to make him shine. But if you look at his numbers um, at the time when Ronaldo was there, he's had actually some of his best seasons. I mean, I think his second best season after this one uh, at Real Madrid uh, was back in 2011-2012, where he scored 32 goals in, in 52 games. Excuse me. That's not exactly rubbish. Um, and, and in fact, his numbers have always been exceptionally high. I think it's just because he was next to... One of the great goal scorers of our, perhaps the great goal scorer of our age, Uh, because of that, his contribution was perhaps not seen for what it was. Perhaps people didn't quite appreciate how complete a player he was, the intelligence of the player, the fact he can score left foot, right foot, header, heavens above, those headers against Chelsea. They were amazing um, and also a great passer of the ball somebody who knows how to pace himself etc 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 I think the one thing about about uh, Karim Benzema that people should realize is the absolute consistency of his output ever since he broke into Lyon into the first side uh, in the first 11 uh, which was t- 2006 but mostly the 2007 eight season when he started to play. So regularly, actually, he was one of the pillars of that particular team. And since then, he's basically been scoring 20 to 30 goals a season, almost all of the time. We're, we're talking about a true great. Uh, he's not the kind of personality, obviously, that people would uh, uh, <laughs> associate, perhaps, with a, a truly great player. Uh, he's also had his moments of shadow, shade, even darkness. Uh, we shouldn't forget that... Uh, he was recently uh, sentenced to uh, a year, you know, one year suspended and, and pretty hefty fine for his role in the inf- infamous uh, Macho Valbuena sex tape affair. But there is an appeal. He appealed against this uh, sentence, an appeal which is going to be heard uh, at the end of uh, of June. But there have been moments when, you know, you could ask yourself, you know, maybe mm, that also. Yeah, it's, it's sun, sun and shade. But the sun. Is shining bright, more brightly now than it ever has. And um, he is perhaps um, Francis greater greatest ever number nine. Uh, I'm serious when I say that. Uh, proper number nine. Because Thierry Henry was not a genuine mm-hmm. number nine. Uh, there was Just Fontaine, but whose career was cut short when he was still quite young. And you look, there's Jean-Pierre Papin, but Benzema is better. Kylian Mbappé is not really a number nine. I mean, he's everything, but he's really not the number nine. And uh, so I think Karim Benzema has got a a good shout for him being, um, perhaps, yes, the greatest proper centre forward that France has ever had. And uh, that is saying something. I mean, what an absolutely amazing player. Absolutely amazing.
0: Benzema has been talking about Mbappe over the past couple of weeks and the potential of a move. Uh, Like, for a, from what you know, a a 10-, 12-year-old Kylian Mbappe watching Karim Benzema play for Real Madrid and La Liga and in big European games. Was Benzema an influence on a, a young Mbappe? I don't know if he was an influence. I think he would have been one of the players he was
1: looking up to. And I think the prospect of seeing those two together, not forgetting Vinicius, who is not exactly a poor player, and, and a few others, um, is, is, is frightening and beautiful at the same time um, to be honest there is still a part of me who would love to see Kylian, Kylian Mbappé um, play in England but um, I, I had this fantasy of seeing him play for Liverpool and I'm not a Liverpool fan but I thought my goodness imagine Bappe playing with Diaz and Mane and Salah and Jota and Firmino my goodness that would be absolutely insane Klopp has, Klopp has been trying to play it down this week uh, yeah, well, I mean, it's it's whatever happens anyway, it's going to be absolutely fascinating to watch. But what is also wonderful to see is that Karim Benzema is at long last given the recognition that they think the, the player uh, fully deserves, regardless of the, the more, the harsher judgment that some might have on on, on what he's done in the past and uh, which was not perhaps the, the, the things he should have done. But put this aside if you can. And what you have is one of the most complete players, Who's never been sent off, by the way, whom you'll never see um, uh, disputing a referee decision. Um, honestly, he, he never has in his life. He, he, it, that's, he's a different type of player. He's one of the most intelligent players there is. Uh, the way he moves on the pitch. I mean, I could carry on. You have, you'll have to stop me at some point. But <laughs> it's I, a true I was, love was, affair. <laughs> well, I, it's, it's all, I was watching the way he was moving on, on the pitch against Chelsea. Uh, And and I was thinking there were there were moments that he was just walking. He was walking like Messi, which is like really walking, not very, not very fast. And then suddenly there would be this acceleration. And then suddenly he would make an effort and he would do a run and he would or he would go back and, and grab the ball in his own half and just give the ball back and you think, okay, what, what's he done? What's he done is basically he's given spaces offered an angle of passing, blah, 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 what he needed to do. And then the next thing you know, five seconds later, is in, in the 30 yards, <laughs> threatening to score a goal. It's somebody who's got such an extraordinary intelligence of, of understanding of what is happening on the pitch. And also you can see, I think you will have seen those incredible statistics since the beginning of March, and, and the games that he's played with Real Madrid and the games he wasn't there he missed one game which is the one they lost 4-0 against Barcelona every other game he scored a double or a hat-trick that's Karim Benzema for you we'll leave it there Philippe, always a pleasure my pleasure too